Part of delivering a panoramic view on sports is making sure to introduce my listeners to some of the sports that are not so mainstream. Today, I'm bringing on another guest that has some experience in the sport of lacrosse, and we're going to learn about his journey through the lacrosse world, both as a player and as a coach. And you don't want to miss this because he's going to talk about the success of the collegiate program of which he's a part of now. Don't miss this episode of The Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game time! Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. You know this by now. My name is Shane Larson, your host. I've been coming at you for over 58 episodes. Now today is going to be the 59th episode. And if you don't know by now, I'm going to tell you where you can find me. Make sure you head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Podcast Addict, whichever platform, even Spotify. Make sure you find the Game Time Guru and subscribe to the show. Um, that's where you're going to be able to find me. That's where you can catch up on all my other episodes that we're, where we're talking about sports and where I'm delivering a panoramic view on sports for you. I'm helping you see sports through a different lens, and today is no different. I've got an awesome interview coming on, uh, an in, sorry, an awesome guest coming on for an interview, uh, and it's going to be a great discussion on another sport that's not one of the mainstream sports that you're used to seeing, and we're going to be talking about the sport of lacrosse. And I've got one of the best people to talk about this, Mr. Marcel Reed. Marcel, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you're doing big things over here, Game Time Guru. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. And the same goes for you. You're doing some big things, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, Marcel and I actually went to the same high school. Granted, you know, Marcel, you were just a, a few years younger than me, so I don't you know, recall like going through school with you, but I know that you went to the same high school uh, for a period and when we were in high school, especially me, I graduated in the year 2006. That was that was my graduation date. Lacrosse was sort of new. It had only been introduced into our high school for probably two or three years uh, before I graduated. And it, so it wasn't very popular. In fact, our lacrosse team was awful, from what I understand. They were terrible. But I want to know what your thoughts were on it. What got you into lacrosse? Did you play any other traditional sports before you even got into lacrosse? So my first sport I played was hockey. I was addicted to hockey and I could probably give all the credit to the Mighty Ducks movies coming out. So that was the first one. And then, I mean, after that, I, I dabbled in football. I dabbled in basketball. And then in fifth grade, I got Crohn's and I couldn't really play sports anymore. And then come freshman year of high school, they cleared me for sports. And I I didn't play anything that year. And most of my buddies had already started in lacrosse come seventh, eighth grade. And they were already playing. Uh, I think they were halfway through the time they really were chirping in my ear freshman year. And next year, I decided, well, all my friends are doing it. I might as well come out and try this sport I've never even heard of. And I'm pretty sure I probably called it a racket at first, not a lacrosse <laughs> stick. Yeah, so it was it was a, a crazy learning curve to see what this new sport was for me. Man, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that you played hockey, though. You had a hockey background because I do remember in my high school days, I had a couple buddies that, that you know, played hockey. And... Actually, at the time that I was in high school, our hockey team for our high school was actually amazing. They were really good. And then a lot of those same players also played lacrosse when the lacrosse program was introduced at our high school. But our lacrosse team was, like, awful. So, like, our our hockey team was amazing. Lacrosse team was awful. What's the comparisons between lacrosse and hockey? Are there a lot of – like, to, to the normal person who doesn't know the sports, it seems like they're the exact same thing. It's like hockey on a field without skates. Is, that, is there anything close to it? Is that even a – you know, a decent comparison? It is a, a decent comparison. I mean, I guess your best comparison to, like, lacrosse defense and just how the field is set up, you've got your midfielders, like in soccer. The defense is pretty much exactly like basketball, only with another defender, so you have six out there. And hockey, I guess you could – how – 
how it's fast breaks a lot of the time, it's it's a constant flowing game, just like basketball and with hockey. So, I mean, it kind of takes from a lot of other sports, and it could be more of other sports took from them being a, a long pastime Native American game where they used to play hillside to hillside with, you know, rabbit skulls as the ball and losers died. So that was kind of an epic game back then. That's interesting, man. That's actually a really good point, though. It seems like the other sports are actually taken from them. We just don't know a ton about lacrosse, especially here in the western part of the United States, because it's not as popular. But yeah, it was actually the one that's been around longer than the mainstream sports like American football and basketball and all that stuff. So it's uh, so you started in high school. Well, you started playing in high school, and it seems to me that you were able to excel. You know, it was a learning curve. You said, but how did you do like over the next? couple years did you pick it up pretty quickly I did I I saw that most of my friends were in this sport and I was like well I don't really want to be left behind and it was it's a really like intriguing sport when you really go and see it you're like this is super cool so I didn't I really wanted to get the most out of it and I just dedicated myself all summer before sophomore year one of my buddies let me borrow his stick and I went to, we call it work in the wall, where you just bounce the ball off the wall and catch it for hours. I'd be at the wall for four hours of a, at a time just trying to aim at little things and just feel for the ball and the stick in my hands. And pretty soon, you you know, you get pretty good, and then you get to practice, and you start seeing how the, the rules are. The rules are the, the biggest thing to learn. If you can just dedicate yourself to, you know, the craft of trying to get better with your stick skills, the rules is what, you know, you got to have the IQ, just like in every sport. That's what takes the longest. Yeah, just understanding the flow of the game. Okay, so you go into it, you're you're putting a lot of dedication into this, um, practicing doing, you know, throwing the ball against the wall. You're trying to practice getting the feel for the stick and getting the feel for everything. And then you have to add the IQ part of it, which is understanding the rules of the game or else it's not – none of your skills will work if you don't understand the rules of the game. So you put time and, time and effort into it. What position did you play, Marcel? So I played midfielder, and that's kind of the – the spot where you just get thrown in you play defense and offense and then coaches kind of decide okay this guy's probably better at offense so we'll put him as an attackman or this guy is way better at it at defense and we'll put him at a defenseman with that long six foot poles what the D poles have and you just everyone kind of starts right there at midfield and if you're good at both you kind of stay there and so that's where I ended out, and it's it's a lot of running the midfield, but I liked running back in high school, so I was okay with it. Oh, man. Okay, power to you, because I hate running. Hated it in high school, hated it now, and I played basketball my whole life. I hated it my whole life. So, okay, so you're playing that. Um, did you have any offers or any, any like, I guess, ambitions, I should say, to go play lacrosse at a higher level? Now you've been introduced to it in high school, and like, let's explain to the listeners – about the opportunities that come after high school, such as, you know, you got scholarship offers that are for football players, basketball players, all these different types of scholarships. But what happens? What are the opportunities for lacrosse players like yourself? What happened for you after high school? So when it came to there, it was still really, really small. I mean, there wasn't too many schools and social media wasn't a big thing back then. It was just kind of getting in with Facebook and all that. So you couldn't really get yourself out there and find all the, the different, you know, sites. There's so many websites and Twitter pages for lacrosse teams now. So back then it was kind of like if you were really, really, really dedicated to get film and send it out to somebody or a local team could come out and watch, that was kind of – that was kind of it, unless you were, you know, East Coast player coming out of the top high schools in in the nation, and, you know, you're getting looked at by Duke and Virginia. So around here, you're kind of, it was kind of more of, you had to put yourself out there and really, really figure it out to try and get to a team to have someone 
perceived to be recruited. Now, you know, everyone has the huddle pages and YouTube is so big that they can just upload their film and put it on their Twitter and say, coaches, look at it. So from when I was there, it was really hard and you just had to dedicate yourself to get out there. And I really, being only three years in lacrosse, I didn't really know about college lacrosse except for, you know, the D1 programs. I, I don't even think I knew College of Idaho had a team or even BSU had a team. So it was it was like that back back in 2011. Let's talk to let's tell the listeners what kind of happened with you because you were a player and right now you're actually coaching lacrosse but we kind of want to show them the transition from when you were a player to to where you decided to go into coaching what happened that you know caused you to not be able to play or not want to compete what what exactly happened in your life Marcel So like I said back in 5th grade I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and if anyone doesn't really know about it, it's just a crazy immune system uh, disorder, and you can go in remission. And I was in remission, played all through high school, sports were fine, and then I got, uh, I was thrown back into a flare-up, and that was like the worst thing. It was all because of just the sinus infection and how it was treated. And so it, it just went into a bad flare-up is what they say. And I couldn't walk. I couldn't get to the bathroom if I wanted. I just, it was horrible. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to run. They told me running is probably going to hurt the rest of your life. So I was like, well, if I can't play, I'm going to at least be a part of some, some lacrosse in a form. And so I decided to coach. So I went back to Meridian and they offered me the head coach spot for the JV team. And I was like, great, give me whatever and I will take it and run with it. And that's kind of how, what happened and what made me transition from a player to a coach. I love that, man. And sometimes people don't realize I've actually had a, an episode on this podcast talking about coaching specifically, the art of coaching compared to the art of playing. And it doesn't matter which sport it is, but coaching is a, it's an art in itself. You might be the best player in whatever sport, but coaching itself is it's a, it's a different art because you have to share your knowledge, but there's a way that you do it. What was one of the biggest struggles, especially, you know, coming from, you know, you were a pretty good lacrosse player coming to the high school level and actually coaching the JV level. What was the biggest challenge that you, you faced there with trying to get your knowledge in and having the players implement that? So from coming from me being on a varsity team and being a starter and a captain, it was, I, you know, I could just trust my, my players. I didn't have to tell them how to do it. They could do it. Or I guess my teammates, not my players at that point. To go to JV, where now you're trying to teach them the game and just the simple stuff is what we call cradling, where you keep the ball in the stick and run up the field. You've got to learn how to tell tell somebody how to cradle in five different ways because not everyone learns the same. So that's kind of the biggest thing is you've got to learn how to teach everyone in a different way. And that's that's the biggest thing I would say with coaching is just you got to give them options on how to either visualize it or something you say makes it click in their head in a movement type way, analogies, different things on how they can get it through their head and get that, oh, okay, that moment right there. Man, okay, so I love how you said that because essentially it's the same as anything in life. Like you have to, like for any manager in a business, same concept. They have to adapt to the people that are around them, adapt to your employees, adapt to your players. You have to adapt to their learning styles, and that's what makes an effective coach. I think that's awesome that uh, you brought that up. And, yeah, it is a struggle if you're coaching, and especially at the JV level where they're still in this learning progression. They're at a different, you know, they're at a different – spot in their learning career um it, it would be difficult i can imagine 
that being tough like one of the simplest things i guess cradling would be the same concept as dribbling a basketball and on the basketball court like there's certain things you got to do or whatever it may be so yeah just the simplest concept you have to to coach them in a different way and you have to adapt to each player's learning style so you're coaching the jv level what was the um did you guys see any success what were what was the record of your team your first year coaching at the jv level at meridian high school in idaho so my first year, I think we went like, I think it was three and four, and I had seven players that were strictly JV, and then I had four more players that would go, we call them swingers, between varsity and JV. And to have a team, you have 10 on the field. So with seven guys that are just straight JV and the rest that are on the other half of practice, it's just, it's just a lot of... I mean, getting the most out of your players, and at that point, it's you got to let them have fun because you don't want them to hate the game, hate the coach, hate just the whole experience of lacrosse. And it's it's just a lot of humbling experiences. And the success was their first win. That was probably the best. Is when I got my JV team their first win against Ambrose. Uh, what is that? Ambrose Christian? Or, I, I forget, but Ambrose High School. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's a private. It might be a Catholic school. I can't remember off the top of my head. But you're right. It's a. It's a private school. So you guys got your first win against Ambrose here in the Valley. Um, and how many years did you coach the JV team? So I coached JV my first year, and then the second year I moved to varsity and was the goalie coach slash like players coach because i i happen to be that guy that was a good people person i could i really adapted to teaching people in different ways and going up to each kid you know after a shot okay you got to change this you got to do this i was really one-on-one and so varsity wanted me to come up and handle just the the small things and the goalie was my biggest deal and it's still kind of been my biggest deal Okay. Okay. So you made the, the, the change, like the little, you know, change from the varsity, sorry, the JV head coach over to the varsity players coach slash goalies coach. So you're over there, you know, helping with the people skills, just kind of, you know, adapting to your players and then also coaching like your specialty was the goalie position. And how long did you stay at the varsity level doing that? Did you ever get a coach, be a head coach of, of the varsity team? Or did you stay at that? Like the specialty coaches, how did that all work out for you? So the, the next year after that, so that was my second year at Meridian High School, I there was kind of the plan of, well, we don't know where our head coach was leaving, and I kind of was the one that wanted to get it and step up, and then they had some uh, another guy come in that they hired from, I think it might have been Rocky or something like that, and they didn't really keep me in the loop, so I was like, okay. That's fine. I'll move on to a different team. So I went to Mountain View, and I went in pretty much the same thing. I coached middies and goalie, goalies there, and I stuck to Mountain View for a year. We went undefeated, won a state title, and after that year, I was kind of like, well, I, I want the next best thing. So I, I moved to college after that. So what was the application process for college? So you're, you're, you've got this resume built up from coaching. You've gone from the JV level to a varsity level, a varsity level at two different schools, have you? Um, you've got a title that you've, you've been able to be a part of. And then when you say you wanted to move to the next level and that you went over to college, what was the process there? Like, did you have to apply? Did you know people that, that helped you get the, the job? Like, what, what actually happened to get you over to, to the college level? It was knowing people, that's for sure. You definitely get places by knowing people. And my buddy from high school, the other captain, uh, Austin Mendiola was his name. He was playing at uh, College of Idaho, and he knew I was doing good at the, the varsity level, and he kind of just kept chirping in the head coach's ear, hey, you should – Think about bringing him on. You're the only coach. You might need some extra help. And so, and I was recruited by that the head coach of College of Idaho, so he kind of knew of me and knew I was good friends with 
uh, Austin. And so he reached out to me and I could honestly thank my college coaching career to Austin because he was the one who threw my name out and Matt bid on to it. Matt is the head coach of the college and he sat down with me at Piehole and the rest is history. Awesome, man. So let's rewind just a second. You said he recruited you. Originally, he recruited you. So are you saying like when you were a player in high school, um, before everything went down with your health issues that had flared up, um, he had recruited you to the College of Idaho a few years prior to this whole experience happening? Yes. So it wasn't really how I said you had to get your name out there. Austin was our stud on, on Meridian. And so he came out and watched Austin and then saw me as well. And so he kind of kept talking to me, hey, you should come. You should come to the college. You should really think about it. And I was like, that school is just too expensive. And then before I knew it, Crohn's took over. And so that was kind of it for being recruited. And so... uh yeah, it was honestly everything for college and being recruited was Austin. Austin got everyone out there, and that was the reason I got looked at. Hey, you know what, though? That's a really cool point that you made, though. So while it may have been another player that kind of got the, the coach's attention originally, it gave you an opportunity. And sometimes I think we have to remember that in all aspects of life, for that matter, you sometimes you just have to wait for the opportunity and sometimes it's the people that you know and it's the networking that you do it doesn't matter if it's in sports or business or whatever it may be it for you you had austin who was a teammate who got you you know the exposure as far as a player is concerned and then years later you still had this connection with austin and you still had this connection with the coach at that specific school this is years later a couple years later and you still were able to you know you you kept that relationship and good standing and then obviously you landed where you're at so i mean it's kind of cool to see and that's the importance of while you're networking you always want to keep you don't want to burn bridges ever you always want to keep these opportunities coming because you never know when the next opportunity is going to go you want to keep a good relationship with everybody so let's talk about the college of idaho i keep saying this you said the college of idaho and for anyone who's listening, I've got listeners literally all around the world. We've got people over in Australia, got people in Denmark, but we've also got people all across the United States, all the way over to North Carolina, New York, everyone. So the College of Idaho, the only college people know about in Idaho is truly Boise State. That's the only people across the country. They don't know anybody else. So what is the College of Idaho? Where is it located? What division are you guys in? Let's talk about that school for a second. So the College of Idaho is a private college located in Caldwell, Idaho, and it's kind of just like this own little network of great community, family, atmosphere. It's just, you go to Caldwell, and everyone's like, ah, Caldwell, but you get onto that campus, and something changes. Everything is just, there's people out there, everyone's saying hi, the buildings are all, all the buildings out there are just nice and it's just a different atmosphere when you get inside there and so being a private college we're a little smaller which kind of falls into the rankings of where where you're at nationally in divisions and stuff like that so there's there's ncaa lacrosse and it goes d1 d2 d3 and then there's mcla lacrosse and then there's D1 and D2 and that, and it all goes on how big your school is. So BSU is MCLA, and then their D1 program, and we are MCLA D2 program. And who are some of the schools, like in in regards to you know sports or lacrosse for this matter? So you're, who are some of the schools that you would compete against? I should say um, that are in the same division, like the smaller schools, like yourselves. So we play against University of Portland, Portland State, uh, Southern Oregon University. We play Gonzaga. We play Western Washington. Uh, we play University of Montana. I mean, some some of those schools in there are, are big name schools, but it just all depends on how big your lacrosse program ends out and. I mean, if you're if you're not cut out to that NCAA D1 level, you know they're going to give you 
where your best competition lies. I gotcha. I gotcha. Now that's awesome. So for the listeners that are, you know, tuning in the college of Idaho, um, what I remember it as is like, they had a good basketball program too. Like uh, when I was younger, when I was in high school and stuff, we had a couple basketball players that went over there and yeah, it's a smaller school. It's in a city of Caldwell. Like Marcel was just talking about. Um, and typically like just when you first hear the, the, the name Caldwell, Idaho, the people around here know that they, they have a really bad perception of Caldwell. It's just a trash, nasty city. That's just kind of the first perception. Unfortunately, that's kind of how it is, but there are really good parts to each city. And that's one of them is that school. It's a really nice school, really nice campus. Um, it's actually beautiful. Um, and so it's kind of crazy. Like every, every, everybody has like every city has it's good and it's bad. Obviously Caldwell's no different, but yeah. Um, College of Idaho is definitely one of the the good parts of that city. And so, anyway, so we're we're talking about the school itself, the lacrosse program. You're the coach over there. You're one of the coaches at the school for the lacrosse team. Let's talk about your transition, Marcel, into the collegiate level. Uh, when you went from a varsity level over at Mountain View, winning a state title, going into the collegiate program. What was your first year like, and what were some of the changes and differences? Uh the first year was. It was kind of a, a, it was a good year. I, I still had my, I mean, Austin is one of my closest friends. My, that is my best friend right there. So coaching him, going from us being captains at Meridian to now I'm his coach his senior year was kind of a crazy little thing. And some, uh, some other players I played with at Meridian were there. So it was kind of adjusting to, now I need to be a coach because these guys are they're they don't consider themselves kids, even though they still are. They're eighteen and out on their own and so now you just gotta establish yourself more. It's it's not so much they're just gonna automatically listen to you. It's gonna be you gotta let them know you know what you're talking about and they gotta respect that. And so that was one big thing for college and that's kind of the older you get, it gets a little bit easier, but the first few years when you're close to that age, it was it was kind of a, a big swing. Oh, for sure, man. And, and I'll be real, as a player myself, just growing up, usually it was the younger coaches. Like, if I felt like I knew more than them, it, it was tough for me to, to have the respect for them just depending on their, their decisions. So, yeah, as a coach, I can imagine, like, it would be difficult. You've got to earn that respect especially if those those players are close to your age or if they are your friends or if they're someone that you've played with before. Yeah, it, that would be difficult. That's a, that's a really good point. So what year was that that you got over to College of Idaho your first year during Austin's senior year you mentioned? So I think that was 2015. Let's see, 15, 16. Yeah, so 2015 I made it over there. And it it was... It was their first year that it was a winning season because the head coach did really good for recruiting that year. And he got a lot of the kids that I coached at Mountain View. That Mountain View class kind of was the second wave. Austin's class was the first wave to kind of get something going, more of a recruiting vibe to it. And then the year I came was like the second wave of kids that could really, really take the program to the next level oh that's solid okay okay so all right that so you had this wave and you've mentioned two schools now that kind of had some some players that came up to the collegiate level you had meridian and mountain view and for anybody who wants to know the logistics of those these are two schools within the same city of meridian idaho which is um, right outside of boise the capital and they're literally probably five to ten miles no they're not even ten miles apart they're probably five miles apart from each other um and as far as distance is concerned so and that's about how many miles from caldwell i don't know ten miles from college of idaho so both of those schools are within the same very very close to where this college is located now i have a question for you on that then marcel you've got the wave from meridian which was you know austin's class that you mentioned and then the wave from mountain view that came in and that was during your first year over there started winning now do you get at the college of idaho do these players get a scholarship do they get their school paid for or any kind of compensation for that matter as far as their school is concerned to play lacrosse like they would with other sports so the 2012 
was the first year the school decided, okay, if we're, we want to build a better lacrosse program, we're going to have to have something, uh, an incentive, like you say, to get these players out here. So that was the first of it. And I'm sure, I don't know how much money there was to give out, but I'm sure it was not, not close to enough to even cover, you know, books for that. But it was still, you know, an extra thousand dollars or something like that. And that, I mean, coming from that school where it's thirty-eight thousand a year, any money helps. So that that was two thousand and twelve season to now to two thousand eighteen, where we're a full-on varsity program. That's so awesome, and and. Talk about this too. You mentioned 2012 is when they started being able to, you know, provide partial scholarships for that matter. But what was the like? Where did you guys come from? Like, wasn't this wasn't always that way before 2012? What was the lacrosse program? So in 2004, the the head coach now made the program, and it started out as a club team with maybe 12 guys that just wanted to go out and compete and have fun because. There was no place really besides BSU for a lacrosse team. And so they got some guys together and were like, okay, we're a club now. We're going to play lacrosse. And their goal back then during games was just to at least score. That was the goal (laughs) back then. So it's come a long way from 2004 to now. Man, that's it's a really cool story to hear how a club program – gets to a varsity program because it doesn't always happen. Uh, when I was at Boise State, my my very first year there was right out of high school. I was actually on the boxing team. Um, I loved boxing, fought for Golden Gloves uh, through high school, and then uh, Boise State had their own club team. And people always make fun of club teams. They're like, oh, well, it's not a school-sponsored sport, da 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 And I'm like, yeah, well, our club team was actually legit. We, you know, we were considered Boise State boxing. We fought other schools. We had UNLV on the 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 map but basically the club team you just had to pay for everything we had to have everything it was sponsorships or you had to do a fundraiser but you had to pay for your travel you had to pay for everything um and it wasn't ever sponsored by the school and i always wanted it to be an ncaa you know regulated and 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 sponsored sport but uh it never got there and it doesn't a lot of those sports that are you know under the radar they don't make it to a varsity program so to see that you guys were able to get College of Idaho from a club team to now a varsity program at the school to at least have like a scholarship offer and stuff to incentivize kids. That's how you get that to continue to grow. And I think it's awesome to watch. Um, I want to know something though. Like, so you were talking about, and I mentioned this earlier, you said you were pulling from these schools that were local. How many kids would you say, like, what's the percentage or rough percentage, I should say, of kids that are local that are playing for College of Idaho and then maybe kids that are out of state? Do you guys have any out-of-state players? So we do, and we could thank football. When football started their program up again, we started really getting looks from the out-of-state guys that, you know, were two-sport guys. And, oh, if I'm getting recruited for football, you know, I might as well play lacrosse while I'm there, too. And so that was a lot of our out-of-state guys are football guys as well. So we could think football, and it's, let's see, we probably have maybe the first couple years, like 2012, it was pretty much all local. We maybe had a few kids that, that weren't recruited but just happened to come from different uh, states to just go to the college because the college is a really prestigious place. If you go there, you're graduating from a Forbes listed college. And so uh, back then, yeah, it was pretty much all Boise High School and Mountain View, Meridian, Sky View. It was really a lot of local. Now we're getting to the point where we're kind of almost about half, half and half right now. So it's it's definitely football has kind of helped us out with that, with kind of, okay, we'll talk to this kid, and if you want us to talk to him too and maybe do a dual scholarship, we've kind of worked with the football coaches a few times, and it's been great. 
man, it's so cool to see the growth of the sport because obviously we know, like all sports fans understand that lacrosse is more of an East Coast sport. That's like how it's always been my whole entire life. But just in the last 10 years, it has continued to grow. Like, and, and like you're saying, even at your school specifically, probably in the last six, seven years, like it's already grown. And obviously 2004 until now, you just look about 15 years back, we're looking at huge growth like we're talking huge growth and it's just going to continue to grow but man it's awesome and I want to talk about the success you guys have seen so you said you guys started getting on the winning track when you got in there um where are you guys at now and what's your position like what's your coaching position right now and and how's the program doing so yeah that first year in 2015 was the first winning season seven and four or I think it was eight and four and we made it to playoffs. And I think, I think they made it in maybe a couple years back, but it was, it was kind of, they had to beat this one team and it happened and they got in and that was it. But that first year, seven, four or eight and four, my second year, we went seven and four. And then going to last year, last year was kind of the year that put us on the map. And we, we had some good recruits. We had those, those Mountain View recruits that were then juniors at the time really coming into their own. And we went, we went 11 and 0 regular season. So we're the only team in the MCLA out of D1 and D2 to have an undefeated regular season. First time we were ranked, and by the end of the regular season, we were number 15 in the nation. And then make it to playoffs, we played Gonzaga semifinals, we, we blow past them, we meet uh, University of Montana, who I think was a couple spots behind us last year in the rankings. But their team that year had just dropped down from the D1 level to our level, the D2 level. So they had a big team. And they, we couldn't, we couldn't finish them out in the championship game and finished out 12 and 1 that year. And for this year, it was, that was the goal was we knew we'd probably see Montana back in that championship game. And we had, we had goals for this year to take them out. And how did that go for you? So you guys had built this up, built this up, built this up. You're coming into this season, um, which just, yeah, I want, I want you to tell the story. How did it all end up for you? So this season was, we had the ups and downs. We had, you know, we, we lost our senior goalie last year who was, you know, top 10 in the nation. And then we finally recruited a good goalie. And things just didn't end out right at the college, and he was he uh, he left the team. He had to leave the team, so we're out a goalie. And so I was talking to you about midfielders, how they're good at defense and offense, but a goalie is a goalie. Nobody plays goalies, you know, and something else. You're just strictly a goalie. So I had to pick one midi on my team, someone to step up. And I picked the craziest kid because you kind of have to be a little psycho to be in that goal and have 100-mile-an-hour shots on you. So that was the first thing, the first hump we had to get over was training a new goalie that had never, ever been a goalie before. And so we go to California. Two days before Cali, we decide, okay, this guy's our goalie. We don't have our recruited goalie anymore. And we dropped two two uh games to rank teams and we're kind of going looking at ourselves like what are we doing what's going on what what do we need to do and it was sort of a blessing in disguise because we knew we needed to fix some stuff there we kind of you know imploded on imploded on ourselves during those games and we played UC Davis and UC Santa Cruz and Cali and after that weekend, we went back and fixed some things, and we didn't lose since then. And we got to we got to the championship 
game once again versus Montana. And I, the first quarter, we're down 4-1, and we're like, oh, this this can't happen. We worked way too hard. This was the comeback season. And it doesn't help that they're on the field saying this is too easy. There's all this smack talk coming, and, you know, every huddle was, we're fine. We're fine. That was their best quarter. We just stick to our fundamentals, and we'll stick this out. We know what it's like to come down or come back from being down. And so pretty soon we get to – less than seven minutes in the fourth quarter, and we tied the game at 10-10. From that point, no one scored. Both defenses kept the game at check. And they, they, I, I mean, I give it to Montana. They didn't let us score, and hats off to my defense. They worked really hard all year, and it, it showed in that game where they didn't let us score. And so we went into overtime. And in lacrosse, Overtime is sudden death. It could last seven overtimes, and each overtime is four minutes, or it could literally last three seconds. And so we go into overtime. We win the faceoff. If a faceoff is just ball starts on the ground and two guys try and fight for it, we get it, and then we lose it, and Montana has the ball. And they're, they're trying to run some sort of offensive scheme. And they take a shot, it misses, and it goes out of bounds. And in lacrosse, if the team shoots and their teammate is the closest to the back of the net or the back of where it goes out, out of bounds, they get the ball back. But if they're not the closest one, then the other team gets the ball back. And one of my defenders all year has been the guy that just as soon as the shot goes, he's sprinting to try and get to the closest point. And that was the most heads-up play of that game. Okay, maybe not of that game, but just it was the best play we could have had at that point. And we got the ball back, got it down to the other side of the field, and our attackman from Mountain View who is now inside uh, Lacrosse Magazine as the best player to ever come out of Idaho. And he he's a lefty, and he gets the ball, takes it down right-handed, and shoots and just sneaks it by the goalie, and the bench exploded. I don't think I've ever run so hard, jumped so high, screamed so loud. It was just everything in – and all the years of Yotes lacrosse since 2004 came all together in that moment, and it was just the best victory you could ever imagine. Man, like, it's giving me chills, bro. Like, you're telling the story, and I'm picturing it in my head. And for all the listeners, like, he didn't tell me the full details of the story before I've interviewed him. So this is the first time I'm hearing Marcel talk about how the actual – championship ended up and i'm sitting here and i can picture it in my mind and i'm getting excited about it because i know that feeling it's just like this anticipation you're you're nervous because you could lose then you have something go for you, you end up winning it's amazing that's so legit and marcel what what position so first are you the head coach are you the goalie coach what what are you doing right now at college of idaho so i'm the assistant coach i work with the goalies and offense i i'm kind of like the coach that just goes and oversees like everything. I'm, I help the head coach out and I have, this year was the first year it wasn't just me and the head coach. So we brought on Austin who had graduated in 2015 or yeah, 15. He graduated and just came back as a coach this year. So we had him. We had two other players that graduated last year. So we had a big coaching staff. That really helped out. So I kind of moved to my main thing is goalies. I'm really good with training goalies and just letting them know how different things work, and that's the big position. But after that, it's kind of the the one-on-one coach, just like in high school, and I oversee offense and I oversee the practice plan and what goes into the books and the fundraising and the money and 
all the other things that go on. So it's it's kind of just I'm the I look over a lot of stuff. See, the reason I asked that question though is because you started your coaching career, you know, and you, and then you kind of had a similar position when you got to the varsity level at Meridian. A couple years later, you're in a different position. Now we're we're going to this season. You're in a similar position, but just with the collegiate level and a pretty dang good team at that, at the collegiate level. And you're able to implement everything you learned prior to that at every level that you coached. It's a similar position. You were able to implement it all. And then it obviously paid off for you. So even though you're not the head coach, quote unquote, you still have a position. It's like a, it's, it's almost like, you know, if you're in a business, you're not the the CEO, but you are vital to the success of that program. So, or that organization, whatever it may be. And that's so cool to watch. Um, and, and it's cool to see when people have success where they're at. Now, Marcel, what was more exciting, a state championship for high school or this in, at the collegiate level? Oh, it was this by far. It was <laughs> the sweetest. Oh, it was just having it. We knew we were going to see Montana again. And after a perfect season ripped from us and not going to nationals, knowing that that team was going to be the one. And we we scored the first goal, and that was the first, the only time we were up after that, and we scored the last goal, and that was the second time we were up in that game. The rest of the time, we either tied it or we were down. And so just fighting and fighting and fighting and having – many heart attacks on every play and just just seeing it all come together and those seniors who had just wanted it for so long just to see them raise up those hands and just start running to the dog pile was was way better than any any high school accomplishment I've had oh man that is so rad it's such an awesome thing perseverance you can see it all in one game but it's not even just one game it's the whole season coming back from last year's like you said the devastating loss but then coming this year you had to go through some hiccups and and you persevere and that's one of the things sports teach you it doesn't matter what sport you're playing if it's lacrosse same thing you got to persevere get through it and, and keep fighting and just trust your trust your own game plan trust what you know and just keep fighting um, and, and I think it's awesome to hear this story what's next for the College of Idaho lacrosse so you guys just won the championship but what comes next are they like do the kids move on is there a, even a professional option for these kids is there any more tournaments that go on or is the season done explain that for us and educate the listeners a little bit so the next step is the national tournament. So to get into that, you have to have, you either have to raise that trophy for your conference or you have to have an outstanding season to get a berth at nationals. And so last year we didn't have, we had two out of uh, conference games and you needed three. So we would have made it to nationals last year, even after the loss, but we didn't have that third game. So this year, we're going to nationals. We leave Saturday, and it's kind of like the the uh, sweet 16. There's first 16 teams, then it goes to eight, then it goes to four, and then the game. So four more wins, and we could call ourselves national champs. Where is this um, national tournament? Where's the first round of it, I should say? I don't know how it works. Do you guys do separate weekends? Do you play them all at one one weekend? Like, how, how does it all work? So we play, it's, it's a five-day stretch. And this year it is in Utah. And they vote to where it's at each, each uh, year. Last year it was California, down by Chapman University. This year it's in Salt Lake City, Utah. So it's it's a little bit of a money saver and a nice four hour drive for us. And so the first game we play Monday at 11. And so there's Monday, Tuesday are games. And then there's a break Wednesday and then there's Thursday and then Friday's the national championship. Who's the first team you guys are playing? Do you know? So we play Minnesota Duluth. And they are the three seed, and we are the fourteenth seed. Okay, okay. <laughs> so it might be a tough, a tough battle. It's definitely going to be a tough battle, but sometimes some of these teams stick up in the top rankings just because they're that team. You know, if 
if Alabama in college football just, you know, went downhill, they'd still probably end up in the top 20 somehow just because they're Alabama. And some of these teams are like that. So they're not the best teams out there, but it's going to be a good team. And no matter what, I just got to tell my players, it's lacrosse. They're all playing fundamentals just like we are. It's going to come down to who's more disciplined and who's going to want it more. Man, I'm so excited for that. Um, and when when you guys get done with the national national tournament, like you're, hopefully you can get it to the big game. Um, it's already been a huge accomplishment where you're at. Obviously, you got work to do still. It's not over. Um, what do you what do you see for the future for yourself, Marcel, and and for um, College of Idaho lacrosse? So uh, after this season, it will be or after that tournament, lacrosse will be done for the year. And next year, uh, well, even the next four years, we probably have the biggest recruiting class to come out of Idaho this next few years. I mean, we have the number one attackman in state coming, the number two attackman in state coming, the number one goalie, the number one or the number two goalie. We have kids coming from Washington. I, we probably have 12, 12 huge assets coming next year. So, the dynasty is just starting, Shane. I love this, dude. I'm excited for it. So do you see yourself continuing to coach at College of Idaho? Is that where you want to be for the time? For now, yes. And I it's, it's I love the school, but it's also you start realizing when you're a part of these these college kids' lives, but with being a college coach, you have to, you know, you're going down to the to the next level at high school and recruiting and making connections with parents and coaches. And, and, you know, you have parents that come up to you and say, are you going to leave this high or this college in the next couple of years? Cause my kid is only coming to this college because of you guys, because of the coaches, because of how this is going. Are you guys planning on leaving? So for now, on the next four years, I see myself at the College of Idaho and trying to bring home a national champ now. Man, that's awesome. And we'll be looking looking for it now. And I hope that this interview kind of opens the eyes of all my listeners. Uh, keep an eye out for College of Idaho, this smaller, very expensive, have you, school in Caldwell, Idaho. Um, it's This is awesome. And, that, and like Marcel mentioned earlier, They've opened up a football program. They've obviously already got a basketball program. This lacrosse team is continuing to grow and get better and better. They're getting more recruits. This is going to be exciting to watch as we bring lacrosse from being solely an East Coast sport and bringing it a little bit more across the country and having it continue to grow. Um, This is going to be awesome to watch. So, Marcel, I appreciate you joining me, man. I wish you the best of luck with the national tournament coming up. Uh, We'll keep an eye on it. And uh, for all the listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed this interview. You know the drill. Subscribe to my show, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, whichever place you want to go to, Spotify, you know the drill. Make sure you check it out, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.